one of the things I love about our pastor, Pastor Rod, is that he's very intentional about taking time in July, part of August, to be with his family. Time to also seek the Lord out on behalf of the church, to spend time also visiting other churches in our local area. And he always has a great story of some wild adventure that he's gone on in terms of horseback riding and hiking with his family. So it's just great that we can continue to see our pastor setting a great example of what it looks like to keep the scales of life, if you would, calibrated and balanced. So um, one of the things that's been great throughout July and throughout the month of August is this too. We've actually had a series of speakers, pastors. Uh, It's been a phenomenal time. One of the things that happened last week, which was extremely special too, is our youth uh, leaders, our youth pastors came up here and they spoke about things that God is doing in the midst of our youth, in the midst of our children. Absolutely incredible. I had tears rolling down my cheeks and I was just trying to talk to my wife about uh, or explain about how it impacted me. And I said, Kay, what's what's incredible to me is this. God is moving in radical ways in the generation, uh, the generations that are following us through inspiring them through our youth pastors, through our children's pastors, and they're discipling the generations that are following us, our children, the generations that will follow our children if the Lord tarries. And so I think about what's happening uh, in that, and the need, church, for that right now is urgent. The need for that right now in our church in America is immense. I want to share something with you this morning. These are some, some sobering statistics, but these are real numbers. And what I love about the saying, data doesn't lie, raw data does not lie. So one of the things that happened is there was a, a, a series of uh, a sample that was taken of 1,000 Christian churches in America. They were very strategic They did it by geographic locations, but they also did it by random denominations. These are Christian churches. And what they were trying to extract was what worldview do the pastors from those churches carry? What worldview do they hold fast to? What is a worldview? A worldview is a lens. It's a filter in which we interpret, experience, or understand the world as we know it. As born-again Christians, we should be holding fast to what's called a biblical worldview. We, our truth is God's word. God's word is preeminent. And so what happened is the data was collected, the surveys came in, the results are in. This is the result portion. Senior pastors, executive pastors, children's pastors, youth pastors, teaching pastors, assistant pastors, all took the survey and the results are here. Out of 1,000 churches interviewed, 37% of all pastors carried and held fast to a biblical worldview. 37%, church, that's just a little bit over one-third. Well, the statistics only continue to slide. 19% of those church members within those churches interviewed, 19% professing to be born-again Christians held fast to a biblical worldview, one-fifth. It continues to slide. Out of our children's pastors, youth pastors, not out of this church, but those churches that were surveyed, representing the church in America, 12% 
of children's pastors, of youth pastors, held fast to a biblical worldview. Church, what is happening? What's happening? I think the answer really is right in front of us. What are we reading? What are we teaching? What are we studying? What do we really believe? When the rubber hits the road, meets the road, what do we really hold fast to? And what do we live out? At Sanctuary Church, we are a Bible-teaching church. We believe that God's word is preeminent. God's word is the ultimate authority. Guys, it's our plumb line, if you would. So what we do is we read God's word. We study God's word. We teach God's word. We talk about how we apply it to our lives in the days in which we live today. And our duty is to believe God's word. And if you're here for the first time hearing this, and this is kind of like, whoa, this is a, this is a, heavy, this is a heavy introduction, you're not here by mistake. You're here by divine appointment. And as we go through the message today, as we unpack the message, the goal in my prayer is this as a church, that we would hold fast to the challenge, to the great commissioning that we have been given as Christ followers to make ready a people. Well, I'm going to ask that we bow our heads and then we'll open up in the sermon here in a moment. Let's go ahead and pray, church. Lord Jesus, I thank you that we can be here before you today. I think about churches all over the world, Lord, where church, uh, your body is, they're, they're in basements, they're in homes, they're hiding in places, Lord, because they don't have the ability to meet in buildings like we do. What a privilege this is, Lord. And sometimes on Sundays we can come in a little tired. I'm one of those, Lord Jesus, but what an honor this is that we can give thanks to you that we can read your word, study your word, apply your word to our lives, and that it challenges and it convicts and it edifies us. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would move through this place today in the heart of your people, Lord. We love you, we praise you, in your mighty precious name, amen. So the title of today's sermon is Make Ready. Make Ready. This is a kind of a phrase for prepare, prepare. All throughout Scripture, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, you can see how God partners with imperfect people. With people that are not perfect, he partners with you and with me, with ordinary people. And he does this and in his goodness and in his grace. He partners with us, his creation, in order to fulfill his divine purposes, in order to fulfill his divine will. Today, we're going to be unpacking the story of a family that God used over 2,000 years ago, a family that would be used in a radical way in order to make ready the way for the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And the application to the church is immense. It's huge, and this is why. As God sent his forerunner, John the Baptist, with an important message to be preached and to be spoken to the people, in order to make way for the Messiah, Jesus Christ, we have been committed, church, a message. We have been committed as the ambassadors of Jesus Christ with an important message that's to be shared with an unbelieving world. As God is using his body, his church, in order to make ready a people in preparation leading up to his second coming. If you have your Bibles, you can open these up to Luke chapter 1. We're going to be in verses 5 to 17. 
The scriptures that you're going to see on the, on the uh, projectors are all to the left and to the right or out of the New King James Version. If you have a different version, it's completely fine. Let's, let's provide some context. Let's get up to speed with where we're at with our story today. Luke, the physician, what's happening is he's providing an account, a divine announcement of the, the birth of John the Baptist, the forerunner, the one who would go before Christ. And the preparation effort was made through this message. It was a message that John would preach based upon the necessity to repent and to produce fruits that proved that there was actually repentance, a turning back towards God. At this point in time, Israel was in a challenging time as a nation. When you look at scripture from the Old Testament prophet Malachi to the last words of that Old Testament prophet to the announcement that's taking place today in the book in Luke, 400 years have gone by. 400 years. Scholars call it the, the period of the great pause. God was, we have no recorded scripture according to any prophet speaking on behalf of God for a 400-year period. But then something takes place. In, in the midst of all of this, church, God is moving in a radical way. The plan had already been set into place before the formation of the world. We know this. But now, the message is going to be spoken to the man, Zacharias, and this kicks off where we are unpacking today. And there's three points that I really want us to, to, to drill down upon, and we're going to be doing that as we unpack today's message. The first point is this, how you and I, as Christ followers, are to walk in seasons of barrenness, seasons of discouragement, seasons where things are seemingly hopeless, and how God interrupts the silence. He breaks through the silence. He tears it open, and he speaks words of hope, words of love, words of truth. And the promise is communicated. Thirdly, that we as a church, there's a message that's been committed to us as the body of Christ. If you have your, if you have your uh, Bibles or we have the projector here, um, I'm going to ask that we stand to our feet. I'm going to read the odd verses. If you can read the even verses, this is something that we, we love doing at Sanctuary because we love to speak God's word as a church. And one of the things I, I was telling the other services at, I'm so impressed by how you guys are so good at keeping everything in unison. I'm not great at that, but you guys always do a phenomenal job. So it doesn't matter how good it sounds, how bad it sounds. We just want to speak God's word. I'll start with the, with the odd verses. If you can continue with the even verses. I'll start in chapter, I'm sorry, verse five of Luke chapter one. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of a division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron and her name was Elizabeth. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well advanced in years. According to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will also go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children 
and the disobedience of the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. You guys did great. And this is where we start unpacking and talking through the application. So going back to the very first part, verse 5, 6, and 7, it highlights these three details. The verse detail is this. God's word says, explains it, Elizabeth and Zacharias were both righteous before God. They walked in the ordinances of God. They walked in God's statutes. Second of all, that Elizabeth was barren. Her and and Zacharias would be uh, unable to conceive a child. Third, that they were both well advanced in years. And the, the, uh, the application is important. The details are important here. Because Elizabeth and Zacharias' inability to bear children would have been stigmatized against in the culture. They would have been looked down upon at that time in the culture. But it's important, church, that we do not miss this point. They lived their lives in obedience to God, regardless of what the culture said. They lived their lives according to what God had told them to do. And they walked in that position. A powerful reminder for us today is the church. To walk as God has called us to walk in the midst of a culture that is doing whatever they can to aggressively pull us into the tide of what they say is right, based upon um, their own worldview, if you would. But our identity isn't defined in who the world says we are. We're reminded that our identity is defined in who Jesus Christ says we are. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18 says that we, as his body, we are his inheritance. Wow. We're his inheritance. What an incredible thing. And there's an important third detail that we don't want to miss here, and this, and this is the detail. That God is never limited by the unfavorable odds of our circumstance. It would have required, and it did require, a supernatural movement of God in order for Elizabeth and Zacharias to conceive a child. This wasn't something that could naturally take place. So the main point is this, church, our first main point. How do we, how do you, how do, how do I walk in seasons of barrenness, seasons of discouragement, seasons where we feel defeated, challenge may be seemingly hopeless. Do we remain faithful to walk the way that the Lord has called us to walk? Do we walk according to the statutes of God? Listen to this. Zacharias and Elizabeth, they made an intentional decision to walk as though God had called them to walk in the midst of a difficult circumstance, even in the midst of what could have been seen as a hopeless circumstance. God's word says, church, for you and for me, for us, that there is a hope that we hold fast to, both in this life and in the life to come. Can I read something to you? This is out of Romans chapter 5, verse 1 through 5. This is one of my favorite texts out of the entire Bible because it points to this, our position and how we're called to live and what we can expect, our future expectation of hope. This is Romans chapter 5, verse 1 through 5. And it reads this way. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We're no longer at enmity, church. We're no longer in direct conflict. We're no longer out of fellowship with the Lord. And we have been declared righteous in and through faith. 
but we also rejoice in tribulation. And we rejoice in the hope of glory, but we also rejoice in tribulation because we know that tribulation produces perseverance. Watch this sequence. Perseverance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, which he gave. Church, good news for everyone here this morning. We have been sealed by God's Spirit. What does that mean? It means that there is a guarantee that's been sealed in your heart for heaven, a future expectation, a future hope. Praise God for that. Our, for, our, our hope has been firmly established in this life and in the life to come. And I pray that we, in seasons of barrenness, seasons of discouragement, seasons where it's just flat out hard, that we would remember this promise, that we would hold fast to walking the way that God has called us to walk, trusting in him as he's moving in our circumstance, as he's moving. I love what Pastor Ron says. He always says, we're in process as he's moving through us in process, as he's working us towards the outcome of that situation. I want to share a story with everyone here this morning about a season of barrenness that my family and I went through approximately four years ago. Which, would someone mind hitting the lights here, if that's okay? I just want to show a quick picture. Thank you, guys. So our daughter, Maylee, was born on July 27, 2018. Maylee was born three months premature. She was born through an emergency C-section because Kay was at risk for her life and the baby was at risk for her life. And so what they did is they delivered Maylee three months premature. This is our daughter, Maylee James. Maylee thinks she's in the womb. She's in this cute little isolate. We called it her greenhouse. And what happened in her greenhouse, she had a little um, hand-crocheted octopus and she would hold a tentacle and she would pull that tentacle tight to her chest And I asked the nurse one day, I said, so why the octopus? She says, because the baby still thinks, she still thinks she's in the womb. She thinks that's her umbilical cord. And when she holds onto that umbilical cord with white knuckles, what happens is it stabilizes her heart rate. It lowers her blood pressure. It it helps her feel comfortable. And she she can't see, but she can hear mommy and daddy's voice. Wow. Church fearfully and wonderfully made, as God's image bears. So one of the things, as we're looking at this picture, I want to share something with you. I remember Maylee had a series of difficult circumstances at the hospital. She went through blood transfusion after blood transfusion. We almost lost her the morning after the C-section. She bottomed out. She was, there was no oxygen to her brain for, I would say, probably a minute, minute and a half, but it seemed like an eternity, Right? And so what happened is you befriend these parents and you share in their pain. You share in what they're going through. And one night I remember coming home and Kay and I just couldn't sleep. Man, we were a wreck. And I remember sitting in bed. Kay finally fell asleep. And I remember I got out of bed that night and I got on the floor and I had my knees on the ground, on the carpet, and my face on the ground. I remember weeping. And I remember this prayer, the only prayer that I could pray the only prayer that I could utter out of my lips was this, Jesus, please have mercy on this broken man. That was a prayer that I would pray over and over and over again. But one of the things that God reminded me of was this. He was right there with us the whole time. His mercy and his grace was being exercised over our family, over Maylee, 
over those babies at the, neo, the neonatal intensive care unit at Loma Linda. God's mercy and his grace was being poured out in that situation. So what happened? The Holy Spirit reminded us of how we should continue to pray. And that was through giving thanks. What we did, if you guys don't mind turning the lights on, that'd be great. Thank you so much. One of the things that changed was this. We would leave the hospital and Kay and I would do a verbal account of all the things that we should be thankful for. God, thank you for the coffee in the parents' lounge that's keeping these bloodshot eyes open. God, thank you for the nurse that's our favorite nurse who's giving the care for our daughter that we trust her that when we leave this place and we're leaving our hands in the in our baby in the hands of a complete stranger, we know, Jesus, that you're in that room. You're watching over those babies. And so our prayers began to change, church. And what God reminded us of is that he was with us in the midst of that circumstance. It seemed hopeless at that time. It reminded us of how we're called to walk in seasons of barrenness. We'll continue on, and this is Luke chapter 1, verse 8 and 10. As we continue in our story, I'll read aloud. So it was that while we were serving as a priest, before God, in order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his, or Zacharias's lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. Zacharias' church would be required to serve uh, for a one-week period twice per year. Most scholars believe that close to 20,000 priests were around at that time And they were required to serve throughout this sequence of this one-year period. And this was a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for Zacharias. The Bible says that his lot was chosen. Really, providentially, he was chosen by God to be the one to enter into the holy place, to offer up the incense to the Lord, a representation of prayers of the people. And God had a special plan in place that would forever change the trajectory of the nation of Israel, and it would forever change the trajectory of all humankind, of all humanity. So this is it. I want to paint a picture for you. This is the big day. This is like game day for Zacharias. He's been waiting his whole life for this very moment in time, and here it is. It's morning time. Zacharias is walking towards the temple. You see temple worshipers, worshipers of Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, worshiping as the Levites, the worship band, struck and they began playing. Zacharias would be approaching the temple. One person would come to his left, one to the right, and three guys would enter into the temple, but only two would come out. Zacharias stayed in the temple as his role was to offer the incense before the Lord. And at this point in time, what would happen is when those two men exited, Zacharias would be there completely alone. Wow. Imagine a curtain 60 feet tall, uh, dividing you from the holy of holy places. Think about that moment. Your heart's probably beating out of your chest. You might be sweating a little bit. And then all of a sudden, something significant happens. Everything's quiet. The people outside of the temple are worshiping on their knees or praying on their, with hands lifted up on their knees. They're quiet. You could hear a pin drop maybe besides the crackle of the incense being ascended from the, from the holy place. We'll continue in chapter 1, verse 11 through 13. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing on the right side of the altar of incense. 
When Zechariah saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. God interrupts the silence. He interrupts the silence of a 400-year pause of the nation of Israel. Imagine this. Zechariah is the one chosen to be spoken to by the angel on behalf of the Lord with a message that is extremely timely. And now think about this second point. He breaks through the silence of a hopeless circumstance. Think about this question, church. How has God broken through to you in the midst of a silent period? Was it through his word, through prayer, through a stranger that you meet at Aldi's? Or maybe Starbucks? Is it through the neighbor? Is it through prayer? God's moving and he's navigating. One of the things, church, I think is important for us to remember is we cannot always see the back end. When you think about a business, they always talk about what does this back end of business mean? It means the operations, the things that are currently churning and turning and cranking to make that thing move forward. Think about it in this context with that metaphor. God is always moving on the back end, even though we cannot always see it on the front end. Verse 12 tells us that Zacharias' prayer had been heard, and it was heard by God. The Lord would allow Elizabeth to conceive a child. God's word reminds us that they were well advanced in years, so it could have been, very well could have been, that it had been decades that they were praying for a child. So church, one of the things that is important for us also to remember is this is not to grow discouraged or weary in our prayer life when we can't see the back end of stuff. The front end looks like when we're praying for family members that are suffering with addiction, when we're praying for the prodigal children, when we're praying for our government, when we're praying for our families, when we're praying over the marriage that's gone sideways. We can't always see it, but this is the beautiful reminder out of the text today, is that God was moving And God who created time, he he exists outside of time, is timely, and he's good, and he's faithful. I once heard a prayer, I once heard a a text, I heard a text two weeks ago from a dear friend in this church. I was at at work, and I I got this text message around 2 p.m., and he says, Garrett, remember this, if we only knew what happened when we would pray, we would never stop. If we only happened, if we only knew what happened when we prayed, we would never stop. I was in church, I was at work and I wanted a fist pump and I didn't want to scare the people in the cubicles next to me, you know? But it's so true, church. And I think about how important that is as a reminder for you and for me to continue praying those hard prayers and not to get discouraged because God is moving in ways that we cannot even begin to fathom. On June 24th, I woke up um, with my normal day, my normal tradition. On June 24th, I woke up and I got, went downstairs, I got my coffee, I got my Bible, I went to my old couch, I sat in that thing, and I opened my Bible up. But on June 24th, I always do something different. I go right to Psalm 139. Psalm 139 speaks about David's perfect knowledge of man. And I love reading this because it's my birthday. And I love thinking about this because it's my birthday. And one of the things that I think is important for us to think about is how, I'm going to read this this text to you. This is verse 13 of verse 16. And it reads, for you formed my inward parts. 
This is David speaking, first person. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works. Wow. That my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought or formed in the lowest parts of the earth, the parts of the body, the human body. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they are all written. The days fashioned before me, as yet there were none. David speaking about the intricacy of God Almighty, who, who created the human body so intricate, so detailed. You saw the picture of my daughter, Maylee, right? All of our children, all of our grandbabies, points to complete, God's complete knowledge. So after I read that, that morning, I was getting in my car, and I remember I get a text from my mom. She probably thought I was driving, so she's being respectful of that, you know, no driving text uh, policy. But one of the things that happens, I get a text from my mom, and she says, Gare, I love you, happy birthday. And then she writes this afterwards. She says, Gare, did you hear the update in the news? I said, what happened? She goes, Roe v. Wade was just overturned by the Supreme Court. And I remember I... My, te- my, my eyes in- immediately welt up with tears. And I remember hearing that, and I remember looking at the news, the update. And this is what happened. On June 24th, five Supreme Court justices overruled the ruling from 1973 of this decision. And one of the things I remember thinking about, and I heard this, and it really rang true, is that for over 49 years, the church people within the church have been desperately praying for something significant to take place. My grandparents, my great-grandparents, my great-great-grandparents, generations of people praying that God would move in an extraordinary way. Church, here we are today. Decades of prayer, decades of time on our knees in fasting, in seeking the Lord for this specific time. And we continue to pray for the mothers. We continue to pray for the lives of the unborn. We continue to pray for leadership in California. And if we continue as a church to pray that we've been praying over the past 49 years, church, I get excited thinking about what it looks like tomorrow. We'll continue on in Luke chapter 1, verse 14 to 15. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. The angel is reminding Zacharias, Zacharias, this baby that's coming isn't only going to be a joy to you. He's going to be a joy to others. He's going to be the forerunner of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. John, the one crying out as a voice in the wilderness to make ready a way, to make ready a people for the Messiah, prophesied by Malachi 400 years before the birth of John. Wow. Prophesied before in Isaiah 600 years, up to over 600 years prior. John's assignment, church, would be one of massive impact, of massive importance John was consecrated. This means he was set apart for the work that the Lord called him to as a prophet, one who would speak on behalf of the Lord. And this is the message as we go through verse 16 and verse 17. 
of the angel, specifically to Zacharias. And we'll continue. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Verse 16 and verse 17 again highlights that John would be the one. He would be the one to go before the Messiah. But what would he be preaching? What was John's message? What specifically was John called to do? John was called to preach something very simple. Repent. And bear fruits that show that a change has happened. Bear fruit of repentance. What a beautiful thing. And how was that message received? By some, it was received well. By others, the legalists, it wasn't received well. But think about this, church. Why repentance? Why was John commissioned to speak the message of repentance? Because it's through repentance that the heart can turn towards God and believe and receive salvation and ask for forgiveness of sin. Repentance was the step, the preliminary step, to make ready a way for the people as Jesus Christ would come, the Messiah, on behalf of offering the gift of salvation. And this, this, this note, what does this mean about Elijah? Uh, John's ministry would be patterned after the ministry of Elijah. Both of these prophets had this thing in common. Outside of the fact that they spoke on behalf of God, they shared and they implored the people with this specific message. Repent. Repent. And this last portion, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and disobedient to the wisdom of the just, this is a beautiful way that, they, that Luke wraps up this portion of Scripture, ending in verse 17, where he's saying the faithful patriarchs of that time, the, the, the forerunners of the nation of Israel, the faithful patriarchs, what happened is their faith was firmly established, but the generations that followed the forefathers, the patriarchs, generations where there was a, a, a trend of stiff-necked stubbornness, sinfulness, the serving of other gods, and these things were things where now there was a common shared faith, and it was through this act of repentance. So I'm going to invite the band to come up, and we're going to close with, what does this mean for us today? We, we, we share, we talk. We unpack, but now what is the application? What does this mean for us today as a church? Church, listen here. This is extremely important. The response is what mattered. We know the message was important, but it was the response of the people that mattered. The main point, point number three, as we get ready to close is this. The message that God has committed to us as a church is extremely important. And this is why. It, as John prepared the way for the first coming of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, we see how God has used and is using his church in order to make ready a people, in order to prepare the way leading up to the second coming of Jesus Christ. But what's the message? What has been committed to us as his ambassadors of Jesus Christ? What is it that we're called to share John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. The message that's been committed to us, 
I think about Romans 10.9, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your hearts that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The message that's been committed to us. And I think about this concept, this important point that we don't want to miss, is that we as the church would remember these two closing areas of focus. I think about repentance. I think about the church in America. I think about the church abroad. And I think about the things. What things have gotten in the way, if they have gotten in the way, that have taken the rightful seat of the throne upon the heart, our hearts, where Jesus Christ, that's his rightful seat. What areas do we, I was looking at this cross earlier before worship and after worship of the first service, I look at the cross and I think about what things do we need to let go of and lay down? And as a church in America, as a church abroad, to repent of the things that we have allowed to get in the way. And secondly, the message of hope. There's a future expectation church for each one of us as Christ followers. And that we would remember to hold fast to the assignment that has been given to us, that has been committed to us to go forth and to make disciples of all the nations. Church, I love you guys. And I, I just want to share this with you. This, this message was a wrestling match. This message, this message was hard to prepare. And it wasn't the time. It was more of why. And I think about our hearts, our lives, if there's things that have gotten in the way for us as a church in America, we went through the stats. We went through that. We read God's word. We know that God's word is true. But it was a challenging message to put together, but it's God's word for his people to make ready a way. I love you guys. Let's, let's, let's bow our heads and open up, close in prayer. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this time. I thank you that we can do this in this place today to be encouraged, challenged, and that we can lay down the things that we're holding on to at the foot of the cross, Lord. And I thank you for this opportunity we have to come before you, Lord, to repent of the things that have taken the seat in the throne room of our hearts, Lord, your rightful place. And thank you for the message that you've committed to us. Give us strength and boldness and courage to share this message in the days in which we live. Jesus, we love you. Hear the prayers of your people this morning, ascending up to you like the sweet aroma of that offering in the temple. We love you, Jesus, in your name. Amen.